Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. Amen. We're talking about spiritual understanding. This is lesson number two. Our opening text is Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Here we have the Apostle Paul praying a prayer for the church at Colossae. And in verses 9 and 10 it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. Why, Paul? That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul had a strong desire to see to it that the people that heard the word would walk out their faith. In other words, they wouldn't just hear the word and not do it, just intellectually learn it, but actually walk out their faith that they would live their faith in such a way so as to show others what truly it is to be in Christ. Jesus said, let your light shine among men to be a living epistle of the living Christ, which means they can see the gospel written on your soul, in your life, your words, your conduct, your character, your attitude, and so on. He wanted them to walk worthy of the Lord, pleasing the Lord, knowing how much he sacrificed for them to be saved. You know, we can and should never forget how much he sacrificed for us to be saved. And that should move us or motivate us to live lives that honor him. And so he prayed for this end. He could have prayed for many different things for this church. But he prayed for them to have an understanding of the price that was paid, the sacrifice that was made, so that they would use their faith to live out a lifestyle that would honor and glorify God. And that's why he said to be worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, to please him and not themselves. So in other words, the desire that we all should have is to what? Live the word, not just learn the word. Live the word. Let people see the word alive in us. Now when it comes to spiritual understanding, we want to talk about certain things. And these are just some things that we'll share with you this evening that will help us just to do our own personal study along these lines because we all need spiritual revelation or understanding of God's word. So when it comes to number one, the healing power of God, anybody appreciate God's healing power? Would you rather be sick or healthy? Would you have pain or comfort? I think that's pretty understandable for all, right? Well, when it comes to understanding healing, look at what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, verse 15. He, was just, got, he just got done teaching the uh, sower and the seed, where he talked about the four different soils as the seeds planted into the heart of an individual. And he said, if you don't understand this parable, how can you understand any parable? So this is a major parable that he taught. But notice what he says after, uh, right before it. For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should, now notice these words, see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should be converted or changed, and I should heal them. Notice the progression. In other words, to see spiritually, to hear spiritually, to understand spiritually, and then also to change the way we think. Obviously, he knows more than we do. Wouldn't you agree? So what's important is not to read 10 chapters out of your Bible today, but to take something like that one verse and say, Holy Spirit, build that within me. Help me to see with spiritual eyes what I don't see right now. We can all see more as far as I'm concerned. Have a deeper, clear revelation or understanding spiritually of what God wants us to see. To hear things. Haven't you often listened to a CD, a tape or whatever, and you heard some things, but then you, after you heard it over again, you heard something even more? 
and then more and more. You keep hearing it, and then you kind of wonder, my goodness, did I really not hear that before? We need to hear spiritually. We've got physical eyes and ears. We've got spiritual eyes and ears. And what's the ministry of the Holy Spirit? To help us understand, to help us to see things, to help us to hear things correctly. Jesus made this very clear. Take heed what you hear and take heed how you hear. So what we hear is important and how we hear it is important. I don't know about you, but I'll just, I'll just confess on myself. I'll fess up for myself. There are times my wife will ask me and say things to me and I only half heard her. Anybody here do that? Mm-hmm. Right? I admit it. You weren't listening to me. Honey, you didn't tell me that. You weren't listening to me. I told you that. Your mind was somewhere else. Didn't you hear what I said? And then the next time I try to really listen intently and hear what she's saying, and I'm off to the store, and I'm telling myself, I am not going to call her and ask her what she told me to get. But then it's inevitable I end up calling. What was that last thing you told me to get? You weren't listening. Take heed what you hear. Take heed how you hear it. Because we can hear it wrong. We can hear the wrong thing, in other words. That's number one. Or we can hear the right thing wrong. Did you get that? We can hear wrong. Or hear the wrong thing. Both. We need to understand. I didn't hear that correctly. Or I heard the wrong thing. All right. In Mark's Gospel, chapter 9, look at, here's a story of an individual who had a suicidal spirit, whose father was deeply concerned about his son's condition. And let's read it first, then we'll comment. One of the multitude answered and said, Master, I brought unto thee my son, which has a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. He answereth him, and saith, O faithless generation, that's Jesus speaking, right? O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said of a child, and oftentimes it ca hath cast him into the fire, into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, notice the question here. If thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. He's asking him for help. If you can do anything because your disciples couldn't do anything, but if you could do something, have compassion and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe. Notice how he turns it back on him. If you can believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. So what do we see here? We see his disciples unable to cast the demon out of this person who had a suicidal spirit who oftentimes would throw himself into the fire and into the water. Can you imagine rearing up a child like that? Can you imagine watching your child grow up and oftentimes he's throwing himself into the water to, be dr to drown himself and or the fire to kill himself through fire and burning himself. So you can only imagine what this individual was going through. The father was going through. I know the mother isn't mentioned here, but we know if, 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 they're, if he's married, the wife's still alive. This cannot be an easy scenario for any family whatsoever to go through. Well, they bring him to the disciples of our Lord. And they can't cast out the devil. They can't help him in any way. This would have been the perfect opportunity for Jesus to say something like, you know, it's not God's will to heal everyone. My uh, right-hand men couldn't do it. So maybe he's being chased into the Father. Maybe he's being taught a lesson. Maybe he can serve God better being the way he is which that's un not even understandable how can someone who's got a suicidal spirit doesn't know what he's doing serve God better that way it doesn't make any sense whatsoever but let me share this with you we need to have understanding and the most important thing to understand spiritually is 
It's God's will for everyone to be healed. And a comment like that, that people buy into, is really demonic and comes from the enemy himself. It's the will of God for all men to be healed. But when people set limits and believe things incorrectly by hearing things incorrectly and, and say things like, God's teaching you a lesson, you can serve God better, it may not be the will of God to heal everyone, and so on and so forth. They're basing their belief system on circumstances, people's experiences. And when people listen to those statements being made and consider them to be viable, they put a ceiling over the power of, uh, of, the power of God. And as a result, they shut down the power of God. And if they believe that way and continue to believe that way, They'll never rise up above that ceiling. They'll never be able to tap into the power of God to receive the power of God into their lives to bring healing or deliverance. So notice that Jesus did not say, well, it mustn't be the will of the Father because if you guys couldn't do it, then it can't be done. He never said that to one person at all. None of those statements that we made, but he said, bring him to me. Wow, bring him to me. And it says, oh, faithless generation how long will I be with you? How long can I suffer you? Bring him to me. And he brings him to him. And of course, Jesus tells the man, look, buddy, I know that, you know, you're sincere about this. And I know that you're looking for others to do it for you. But the truth of the matter is this. It's not whether or not I have compassion on you because I'm very compassionate. I'm, my father's compassionate. And that's why I'm here on his behalf to demonstrate that compassion it's what you can believe it's not what we can do because I can do all things but he made a point you've got to adjust it has to be you make an adjustment you've got to believe you've got to believe it's the will of God for your son to be delivered set free and made whole and it was obviously unbelief because Jesus made it very clear that unbelief was the reason why they couldn't cast him out so we all have to admit to that we can't base our belief system on circumstances or experiences of other people we must base our belief system on the word of God and what it teaches. And so when Jesus says, bring him to me, and it's your unbelief, what does the man do? He cries out and says, I believe. Now help my unbelief. You know, if that prayer was sincere, I believe the spirit of God would take it up with us. Help me adjust the way I think, the way I believe, because I want to know the truth, because I know knowing the truth is what makes us free. So invite the Holy Spirit. That's his job. That's his ministry to guide us into all the truth, to show us things to come. So Heavenly Father, thank you for the Holy Ghost in my life to help me understand and see the truth that I should walk in the light thereof. So in John's gospel, we won't look to these two scriptures, but John's gospel chapter one, Hebrews chapter one, you know, Jesus was the word made flesh, right? And in Hebrews chapter one, we are told that the father in times past spoke to the God in times past spoke to the fathers by the prophets, but in his last days spoken to us by circumstances of life, by situations we encounter in life. How was he spoken to us at this time? By his son. He spoke to us by his son. Go through all the gospels and read anything and everything that Jesus ever said to anyone who was in need of healing. You will never find one statement ever from the lips of Jesus that would say to one person, it's not the Father's will to heal you. Healing doesn't belong to you or anything like that. He never turned anybody away. The closest thing, that he, one that came to that is when he said healing's not for the dogs. But you know that story. She said, well, I'll take the crumb then. And she got healed. Which further shows us the compassionate heart of God. So it's easy for us to believe the lie. Why? Because of circumstances and life situations that we encounter. Doubt, unbelief, because we're living by faith in experiences. But God says, no, let my word rise up above circumstances that you encounter. And see to it that you look to the Holy Spirit to build within your heart and life the truth. So you can walk in the light of it. So you see, the problem is not with God. It's not with his provision. The problem is with our believing. I know some people get offended by that, but the voice of truth is God's word, not what we live in life. It's not circumstances. It's not experiences. So what does the word teach? Well, Isaiah 53, look what it says. Verse one, who has believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? 
In other words, who really understands the way God saves? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form, no comeliness, and we shall see him. There is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, absolutely, positively, he hath borne our, that should be sicknesses in the Hebrew, and carried our sorrow should be pains in the Hebrew. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes, we were healed. That is truth. That's the truth that liberates. That's the truth we have to embrace. Why? Because what we just read there was a sacrifice that Jesus made for us in spirit, soul, and body to deliver our spirits from sin, our soul from mental anguish, every sickness and mental anguish, disease, and then our physical bodies as well. The provision was there on the cross on Calvary. And if you go back to the book of Numbers, when they took up the serpent and raised it up on a pole, you look at that. And he said, keep looking at that. You look at that, you live. You don't look at that, you die. You look at your circumstances, you die. You look at the serpent on the pole, you live. And so there's a lot to look into. And we're not saying that we know it all. But we've got to get it from the inside to the outside by understanding the provision that was already made. There are many methods by which we can receive healing from our God. But there's only one message. One message. And we just read it right there. Praise God. Look at the next one. Matthew 8, 7, Matthew 8 17. Uh, verse 16 says, They brought to him many that were sick, and he cast out the devils with the spirits with his word, healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled, which is spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He's repeating or basically explaining what Isaiah wrote. Himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. Oh, Holy Spirit of God, help us understand this revelation of what it means that he took our infirmities he bore our sick can we say that together you took my infirmities you bore my sicknesses I hear it I see it I understand it and I'm changing I'm believing what you say no matter what experience I've had in life I'm exalting the truth above my experiences hallelujah 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 the Holy Ghost will just come along and just, you draw drawn out of him, he'll draw out of you. He'll help us to better see it, help us to better understand it so that we can walk in the light of it. He wants us to walk out our faith in Christ. That's just a little bit. That's just a part of it. Now, sometimes people will say, well, so-and-so got healed and so-and-so didn't get healed, so it mustn't be the will of God to heal them all. Bob got healed, Bill didn't get healed. So apparently it was God's will for Bob, but not God's will for Bill. And they base their belief system on experience, on what happened with these individuals' lives. And it could be that Bill was just a wonderful Christian, but still didn't get healed. Maybe Bob wasn't even as good as far as carrying out his walk with the Lord, but yet he got healed. You know what the difference is oftentimes? Well, probably all the time. It's faith. It's not based on our works. It's based on our faith. Some it's so easy to believe and others have a difficult time believing. But we believe the truth and knowing the truth is what makes us free. So Holy Spirit, give us understanding with regard to the healing power of God that you provided for us to the cross of Jesus Christ so we can see it better, so we can understand it. When he held up that serpent on a pole, he said, look, at, look into it, look at it with a steady absorbing gaze. Look at it diligently, attentively with a steady absorbing gaze. Keep looking at it and looking at it and looking at it because that's where the source of help is. So there's a lot to understand with regard to that. So we're talking about certain things. Now look at number two, salvation. And you know what? This is something that I really believe that the Holy Spirit would have us to really emphasize in this time in which we live right now. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 tell us, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek. Notice, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, there were only used to be two people groups upon the earth. Jew and Gentile or Greek. Jew and Greek. But now that Jesus came, there's the born again people. So now we've got, as Paul said, the Jew, the Greek, and the church of God. And the church of God is comprised of both Jew and Gentile. So he made one new man in Christ. 
So we've got Jews and we've got Gentiles coming in together to make up the body of Christ. The Jews are still the Jews. Israel is still Israel. And the Gentiles still the Gentile. They call it the heathen world. But we are the church comprised of both Jew and Gentile. So he says, look, the Jew first also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written. The just shall live by faith. Notice the word salvation. Salvation, I believe, if we're not mindful of this, is being reduced to a prayer. It's being reduced to a prayer in our generation. People will say this in his prayer, which I'm not opposed to it. We do it all the time. We want people to come to Christ. But many kind of think that that's it. You pray a sinner's prayer and then you're saved and it's all about then going to heaven. Well, we thank God for that. We're going to go to heaven if we, if we truly believe. But the word salvation there, listen to the word. Soteria, what it means is save, heal, deliver. It also means to preserve, to protect, to make whole. So you have different words that are used to describe or define the word, the Greek word for salvation. Well, when you put all those definitions out there as far as that word is concerned well guess what it involves a whole lot more our life on the earth than it does when we get into the spiritual realm we're saved on our way to heaven but heal deliver protected preserved made whole we don't need to be protected in heaven we don't need to be uh, afraid of anything in heaven we don't need to be preserved in heaven because heaven is a perfect place so what's that talking about? We're saved here and now, and thank God we know we're going to heaven. But while we're here on this earth, salvation is all-inclusive. There's healing, there's deliverance, there's preservation, there's protection, there's wholeness. All these things belong to us as we live our lives here upon the earth. Why do we need protection here? Because we have an enemy here who wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Do everything that he possibly can to interrupt our walk with God, to take away from our walk with God. And we understand that. In the book of Philippians, notice chapter 2 and verse 13, 12 and 13. The apostle Paul, once again concerned at the ch of the church at Philippi. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but how much, now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So salvation now is talking about something that's on the inside of us that he emphasizes he wants to manifest on the outside of us. How many of you know you can pray a sinner's prayer and still be mean? Right? You could pray a sinner's prayer and still be bitter, unforgiving, jealous, unfaithful, demeaning. And the list goes on and on. You can cheat, lie, steal, commit adultery. I mean, all those things still exist. You can still do that even though you said a sinner's prayer. And if you really meant your sinner's prayer, you're going to heaven. But how many of you know God wants you to think about more than just going to heaven? Because you see, he said, when you live your life here upon the earth, work out your own salvation. It's on the inside of you, but get it from the inside to the outside through the renewed mind. Because in us is every good thing. In our flesh is no good thing, but in our spirit is every good thing in Christ. And everything that we are, we're not trying to be, or we already are in Christ. We're supposed to get from the inside to the outside of us so people can see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Matthew chapter 16, 24 kind of says that all this is Jesus speaking. And what he says is this. Jesus, then Jesus, said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him, number one, deny himself. Number two, take up his cross. And number three, follow me. So, We've come after him, now we deny ourselves. So it's living a selfless life. We're taking up our cross. We, de we deny ourselves to live independent of God, an independent lifestyle. Remember we told you about the woman not too long ago who was committing uh, adultery. She had an affair with this man. She was on Oprah. Remember what she said? When, when someone stood up, the lady said in the, in, in the audience there, she said, well, what about morality? And the woman got angry. And she said, I'm a Christian. Now she's having an affair with this guy who's married. I'm a Christian. She was upset with her. I'm a Christian. And I serve a God who wants me to be happy. And if he wants me to be happy and this man makes me happy, then he's okay with the relationship. What does that tell us? Okay, so you said the sinner's prayer. You, you're, you're a Christian. But is that the way God wants us to walk? Is that the way God wants us to live our lives? Now, obviously, something is wrong here. For her to think that way 
is so wrong. Yes, God loves us and God wants us to have a wonderful life, but not violate his laws of morality in the process. So he's not okay with the relationship, even though she's deceived into thinking that he is. So we're to deny ourselves the right to live independent of God. Take up our cross means submit our will to his will, surrender our hearts and will to him and follow him. Let him make us what he wants us to be. Let him mold us into what he wants us to be. That should be our heart's desire. And that's what we should be cooperating with the Holy Spirit with. Take me, shape me, mold me, make me the person you want me to be. Help me get it on outside that which is on the inside. From the inside to get it out so I can walk the way you want me to walk. As a matter of fact, one of the most challenging scriptures in all the Bible, 1 John 2, 6, that says, He that says he abides in him ought himself so to walk even as he walked as he walked. That's a powerful verse, wouldn't you say? He that says he abides in him, the goal is to walk even as he walked. Wow. Does that challenge you? It should challenge us. It shouldn't produce guilt or condemnation. It should just challenge us. Remember, Matthew 6, What did he say? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all the things of this life will be added to you. We've got a different kingdom living on the inside of us right now that wants to manifest through us. And so since we've got this new kingdom on the inside, the kingdom of God that's come with power, not just word, but also power and demonstration of the power of God. Look at it's the power to change our lives. If we submit to the power of God within, it can change our lives and will change our lives. We should all be progressing as Paul was. I'm being transformed. I'm being changed from glory to glory to glory. My ultimate goal is, that goal is to have the life of Christ that's in me manifest in my mortal flesh. That's exactly what his desire was. That what he put at the top of the list. This was his earnest aim to walk in that same kind of life. And if we all chose to do that, wouldn't that be amazing? Now, look at this next, that which was lost in Luke's gospel, chapter 10. Verses, you, you only have 10 there, but we're going to read 9 and 10 as well. So you might want to write that down. How many know the guy named Zacchaeus? Remember him? The little fellow who climbed the tree because he wanted to see Jesus. Remember what he did? What was his profession? Tax collectors, were they popular? No, they were not at all popular. They hated tax collectors. They were considered sinners and they didn't want anything to do with them. But little Zacchaeus, he goes up on the tree, a sycamore tree, sitting up there. He ran ahead because he wanted to see Jesus. So he's up there in a tree looking around, waiting for Jesus to come by that way. And when Jesus gets near, he looks up and says, Zacchaeus, come on down here. I've got to go to your house. We're going to talk. And so he comes down, and he's, he's joyful. He's elated that Jesus wants to come over his house. All the other people say, what is this? He's going to eat with sinners? A tax collector? Are you kidding me? Jesus said to him, this day is salvation. Come to this house. Notice this. For as much as he also is a son of whom? Abraham. Yeah, he may be a sinner, but he's also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man is come to seek and save that which was lost. Why did he come? To seek and save that which was lost. Notice that when Jesus came, on one hand you can say, yes, he came for sinners. But you know what sinners really were and are? Lost sons. This was the lost son of Abraham. And when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden in the very beginning, they were considered God's family, but they were lost now. And so he came to seek and say that was lost. Well, what was lost? Number one, relationship. We need spiritual understanding about our lost relationship. In John 8, 44, Jesus made it very clear. You are of your father, the devil. And he's speaking to religious people. He's telling them you're of your father, the devil. And in Ephesians chapter 2, we are told that we all were children of wrath, even as others. And so what's he saying? When man fell in the very beginning, he lost relationship with God. And he became the offspring of Satan himself. And he was taught in a school of lies. Everything that he knows, understands, and believes that comes from this natural world that he lives in is all coming from the school of lies. That's why deception runs rampant among people. 
And anymore, as you can see in our society today, what's happening. Remember he said in Isaiah, woe unto them if they call good evil and evil good. What's happening today? That very thing, calling evil good and good evil. So it's important that we understand that Jesus came to restore a relationship with him, with the Father, so that we could become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. That was lost in the very beginning. And he came seeking it, and he wanted to find it. He wanted to restore man's relationship with the Father. And then number two, we lost our crowning of glory and honor. Look at Psalm, in the book of Psalms, the eighth Psalm. What is man that you're mindful of him and the son of man that you visited him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him have dominion over the works of your hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet. If we could only begin to envision Adam and Eve in all their glory. They were arrayed, clothed, crowned with glory beyond measure. And as I said last Sunday morning, when the devil came along and said that if you want to be like God, then eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But they were already told that they were made in the likeness and image of God. They were made, created in the likeness and image of God. They were God-like already, crowned with glory and honor. We can't even begin to imagine what they could have looked like or appeared like, appeared to be. But they're talking, walking with God in the cool of the day. Just like we're talking right here tonight. Imagine being in that state. But the moment they sinned against God, they were stripped of their honor. They were stripped of their glory, the crowning of their lives. And now they cower in fear and shame and guilt before God. What a transition in their lives. That was lost. Praise God, Jesus came to get it back. Aren't you glad that he did? And now you've got that glory in an earthen vessel. Also, we lost our created value in this life. We lost our created value. Remember Jesus said something in Matthew 10, verse 31, I believe it is. Fear ye not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. You know, a lot of people, hey, we all can be probably included in this statement, don't realize their value. How many people that we talk to throughout the course of a day, they put themselves down. They don't think a whole lot of themselves. And why? Because they're taught in the school of lies. They're still listening to the enemy, telling them in their ear, take heed what you hear and how you hear it. You're really not that good of a person. You're not that great of a Christian. You're not going to make it through life. You're not a good husband. You're not a good father. You're not a good this. You're not a good that. And the list goes on and on and on. And you know what? Your life's not, a whole, not worth a whole lot. And what's he pointing out? This flesh of ours, the fallen state that we're in, this unrenewed mind. And we think along those lines and we buy the lie just like Eve did in the very beginning. We buy the lie. It's time to live our lives based on truth. You know who we are? Our value and our worth? Our value and our worth can only be seen in the price that was paid to restore our relationship with our Father. And that's the blood of Jesus Christ. That's your value. That's your worth more than many sparrows. The blood of Jesus Christ is what we're, our worth is. Look at Luke's gospel, chapter 4, 5 and 6. Our authority and our dominion was lost as well. And we saw that in, in Genesis, I mean in Psalms, but also we see it right here. And the devil taking him up to a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. So the glory was also in their authority and power. For that is delivered unto me by Adam, and Eve in the beginning, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore will worship me, and shall be thine, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, him only shalt thou serve. Listen, when the devil comes along and tries to get us to be convinced to buy his lies, your value, your worth, your power, your authority, you know, He's trying to tell us that we don't have anything. But that's not true. Jesus said it is written. We need to declare and decree what is written. You realize he said heaven and earth, all power and authority in heaven and earth has been given to him. 
Go ye. I'm giving you my power and authority to tread on serpents and scorpions of all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you by any way. We need a revelation, a spiritual understanding of what it means for us to have that kind of dominion, power, and authority. To walk it out, to play it out in our lives. And start using it like we ought to use it, like we should use it. I'm talking about in everyday life and the things that we do and the places that we go. To use the authority that he has given us to rise up above all the powers of the enemy. And this list can go on and on. He came to restore what was lost and he did that. He restored our relationship. He restored our identity, our value, our worth. He, he demonstrates all that and all that he did in his sacrifice. And so we have it right now. We have a revelation of it. We should have a, a deep understanding of it. Look at the next uh, section. This one is heartrending, to be honest with you. You talk about a revelation, a spiritual understanding of his substitution. In uh, the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, this is verse 14. As many, uh, and many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. You could read other translations, and it's more graphic about what he actually looked like, what he became. But that's talking about his appearance. His appearance was not even human-like. And so when he on Calvary's cross died, and it's a whole lot worse than what we see in the passion of the Christ. You see, that's only the external, the outward suffering and all the being and all that. But when he became sin on that tree, and that Roman soldier looked up and saw his body, and saw his entire being probably disfigured, his whole appearance changed right there before him. He never cried out any other time before and said he must have been the son of God to anybody that died on the cross. And he saw many people die on the cross. But his appearance was so marred more than any man. Okay, we understand that. But you know why his appearance was so marred more than any man? Because way back in the Garden of Eden, when man sinned, his appearance changed. He became sin also. You are of your father, the devil, the scripture says, Jesus said. So our appearance was so marred in the fall that the only thing that could change it would be if the son of God's appearance would also be marred as ours was. And he would take upon himself as our substitute the wrath of God. And no one in this church has an inkling of what that entailed and what that involved. It's almost inexpressible. I realize some people get upset when they hear me say that he died and in hell he suffered for our sins. But Acts 2 says it. Read Acts chapter 2. His soul was not left in hell. Neither did his body see corruption. So think about that just for a moment. The word there, his soul was not left in hell. Some of our teachers today want to say, well, that meant the good side of hell. <laughs> if there ever was a good side of hell, I mean, I don't know that. And what they're referring to is Abraham's bosom. Okay? But you see, what I say about that is, in Luke 19, or 16, 19 through 31, we have the revelation of the rich man and Lazarus who both died. One died and went to a place called Abraham's bosom where he was comforted. The other one died and he was in Hades, hell, where he suffered. So we have those two Greek words revealed to us, comfort, discomfort, or Hades, or hell and suffering. You think that Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts, didn't know the word for Abraham's bosom? Didn't he know that word? Because he didn't say his soul was left, was not left in Abraham's bosom. But his soul was not left in Hades. The same place where the rich man went. And he also said he was raised up out of the pang of death. P-A-N-G-S pangs of death. He wasn't raised up out of the comforts of death. He was raised up out of the pangs of death. And in also uh, Romans 10 verse 7 it says that he was in the abyss. Who's going to bring up Christ from the abyss? The abyss is the place where Satan will be bound for 1,000 years. I don't think it's a picnic grounds. 
at all. So if you could put this all together in, in your mind, in your thinking, and ask the Holy Spirit to give spiritual revelation and understanding. We're talking about spiritual understanding. This revelation should drive us to our knees. That in order for us to become who we are, He had to become what we were. He became sin for us. And the Father took the wrath that was due all of us and placed it on him. And when he took the wrath fully, the full wrath of God, he placed him, Psalm 88 says, the lowest pit and the wrath of God was all over him. What Adam did in the beginning was called high treason, and high treason is punishable by death, and death means eternal death. Thanks be to God that on that cross that penalty and punishment that was eternal was placed on him and he went to the lowest place where he suffered the wrath of almighty God for us he took our place he was our substitute so we can rise up with him because if you if you're raised up together with Christ in heavenly places you're, you're seated with him right now but he was raised we were raised up with him that's called identification he was our substitute he paid the debt he didn't owe he paid the price that you and I pay, should have paid but we could never pay and he paid it in the place of the most horrific suffering that anybody could ever encounter and he did it for you and he did it for me and John tells us in John 15 13 greater love is no man than this look at it greater love is no man than this that a man lay down his life for his friends can we take a moment and say thank you Jesus I mean, take a moment, if that really registered in your heart, in your soul, thank you, thank you, thank you. We may not understand it completely, but oh, we see it. We see it. You're our substitute. You took our place in that place of eternal suffering, and you were only there for a short time, and then it was over. And you were raised up by the Father, and you raised us up with you, that we could become the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And you know what? We need to serve him because of that. Would you agree? Absolutely. I can't think of a stronger motivation, can you? Quickly, redemption, Ephesians 1, 7. Revelation of our redemption, a spiritual understanding of our redemption, in whom we have redemption. Say it with me, I have redemption. I've been redeemed. Now notice it says through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we've all been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Somebody paid our purchase price. Thank God he purchased our redemption. We're not forgiven sinners like some like to say. We're not just forgiven sinners. Because you see when you say that the emphasis is on sinners. Forgiven sinners. We're not sinners saved by grace like so many want to preach today. We're sinners saved by grace. Because when you say something like that, you may sound like you're being humble, but it's putting the emphasis on sinners. It's making people think you're still a sinner. And when we make people think that we're still sinners, there's a difference between someone who sins and a sinner. You may be a saint who sins, but you're not a sinner any longer. We were sinners, we've been saved by grace, we are now the righteous sons of the living God. We are now his masterpiece, new creations. Paul made it very clear, the church at Corinth called to be saints. Sons and daughters that are righteous. He was made sin, we're made righteous. So we can see the work of Christ was a terrific work on our behalf he actually took us out of death we are no longer sinners we are saints and righteous sons that's who we are and we need to identify ourselves as such why because the enemy will browbeat us every day with guilt condemnation inferiority sin consciousness if we think we're still sinners you're not a sinner any longer. You're a saint. 
You're our, his masterpiece. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. And what about this? You're a son or a daughter of the most high God. That's who you really are. That's your identity. That's our identity. Well, look in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Oh, thank God. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. We couldn't say that before. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, we have peace. We're brought to a place of harmony with God. God is not looking at us as sinners any longer. We have peace with him. We have harmony with him. Praise God. As sons and daughters of the Most High God, thank God we should be rejoicing and shouting from the mountaintops. We're no longer sinners. Listen to it. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. What stands out in that statement? You're a sinner. Oh, you've been saved by grace, but you're just a sinner. Saved by grace. No, you were a sinner. Say it with me. I was a sinner. I've been saved by grace. I'm God's masterpiece. The righteousness of God in Christ. An heir of God. A joiner with Jesus. Made more than a conqueror through him who loves me. That's who we really are. So let's not buy the lie of the enemy. Um, we won't take time to read these, the, the Luke 2 one, but that's when the, the angels announced before the shepherds that were washing their sheep, glad tidings of great joy, good tidings of great joy, glad tidings of great joy. What was the great joy? That the one who was going to come to save us and restore us has been born into the world. Well, I ask you the question, was he born? Did he do what he came to do? Did he defeat the devil? Death, hell, and the grave? Did he rise victorious over it all? Did he make us sons and daughters of the most high God? If you don't believe me, look at 1 John chapter 3. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sinners saved by grace. That we should be called forgiven sinners. What are we called? What are we called? We are the sons of God. Does that sound good? We are the sons of God. Notice this. Therefore the world doesn't know us. They don't know. They know it's not. Because it knew him not. Beloved now. Now are we the sons of God. Now. Not when you get to heaven. Now. And it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that has his hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. And 1 John 4.17 says this. It says that as he is so are we in this world. So you see redemption is complete. He's redeemed us. He's paid the price. He's delivered us. If we could believe that in Adam we died. We can believe that in Christ we're alive. He brought us out of death into life by his sacrifice. He gave birth to us by his spirit and also by adoption. Think about this. Our birth is twofold. We've been born again by the spirit of God. We've been adopted into the family of God. So he begat us. We're begotten of the word of truth. And so we've been born of God and we also have been adopted by God. That w therefore, we are God's children. He wanted to make it very clear. Why do you think that is? Ever hear an adopted child say that, you know, I'm only adopted? No, you're only, not only adopted. You were hand-selected. My mother's got to put up with me. She gave birth to me. <laughs> but you were hand-selected. <laughs> Let's close it with this last one. I have to get this last one in. All these need spiritual revelation understanding is what, what we're talking about. And this one here, man, if this doesn't get you running out shouting, I don't know what will. It's the temple. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verses uh, 16 through 18. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Stop right there just for a moment. Do you remember when they put the presence of God next to Dagon? Do you remember that story? When they, they captured the Ark of the Covenant, put it in the cave with, with all the other false gods right next to Dagon. What happened to Dagon? Dagon went gone. Dagon was gone. Right? Couldn't stand up to it. Well, the temple was a revered place, a holy place. Why? Because the building was made out of brick and mortar. And all. No, no, no. Because there was gold there and silver there. No, 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 no. No, it was a revered place because the presence of God, the Shekinah glory of God was found in the holy of holies. And if you see the temple as it was a tabernacle in the wilderness and there's a chart out there we, we got you could pick it up for yourself the notes that are out there when they did a teaching on the cross in the tabernacle 
It's, the tabernacle was laid out in a cross. The form of a cross. And every article was strategically placed in such a way that it re represented the very life of Christ when he died on the cross. And in the holiest place of all is where the Shekinah glory was. And so it was a revered place. It was a place where you couldn't just approach without dying if you tried to do so. If you were out in the court of the Gentiles, you couldn't get any further. You couldn't go to the court of the, of the women where they were. The next would be the, the court of the priests. But then the holy place and the holiest place of all. And that's where the Shekinah glory resided. It housed the very glorious presence of Almighty God. You ready for it? For you. You are the temple of the living God. As God hath said. Hath God said? Has God said? If God said it, is it so? Look at, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. He exited the temple where the Holy of Holies was when the veil of the curtain was ripped in twain from top to bottom. The Shekinah glory left. It went out, went up to heaven up there and then all of a sudden when you got born again filled with the Holy Ghost it came right back on the inside of you and now God took up residency in you. God lives in you. The creator of the world lives in you and lives in me. You are his mobile home unit here upon the planet. Can you say amen? amen? Wherefore come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. It doesn't get clearer than that. He has invaded your space. He's coming to your spirit. He's living inside your being. God has taken up residency inside you and inside me. Do you have the full revelation of that? Do you have the full spiritual understanding of that? Notice this, don't touch the unclean thing. Why? Because you, the holiness of God is on the inside of you. Don't touch it. Can't touch this. <laughs> You better get up or I won't stop tonight. <laughs>